Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of Reframing the Gospel. My name is Hayden Hobby, and today, for this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing David Bailey, who is the founder and chief vision officer of an organization called Erebon, which does work internationally around issues of race and reconciliation with churches and other Christian nonprofits. And we had a really great conversation talking about David's work with Erebon and some of the really cool things that they've been doing over the past decade or so. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, It's going to be a great episode. Well, uh, welcome to the podcast, David Bailey. Really glad you could uh, join me today. Um, David is the CEO and founder of a nonprofit called Airbond that was started here in Richmond, Virginia, and that does work internationally. And I don't know if you guys expanded outside of the country yet, or no, we're, we're national. And, okay. and my job title is the Chief Vision Officer. Chief Vision Officer, right? Yeah, yeah you guys have have made some staffing changes recently. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's great. We'd love to hear more, a little more about that. But maybe just starting off, uh, the question that I've been asking folks to get things rolling is just. Um, Kind of growing up, what was your understanding of the gospel and what was impactful about it for you when you were in that kind of beginning stages of your faith? Yeah, you know, um, I'm very fortunate. Well, actually, let me first start off by just saying thanks for having me to be part of your podcast. Oh, yeah, that's I'm excited (laughs) to be here. Very glad to have you. Uh, I would say, like, for me, I've been very fortunate to... um, uh, be born into a family uh, that that my parents took discipleship real seriously. So um, I was about eight years old, and my um, I was really slow in learning how to read. Mm. And so my dad got me a second grade level reading Bible and said, uh, "Read uh, two chapters of the Old Testament, two chapters of the New Testament, Proverbs and Psalms every day, nice. and we're gonna trust God to uh, teach you to read." Yeah, yeah. And so that just got a discipline for me of like being able to like just understand scriptures and. <laughs> And then we would, uh, every Thursday morning, we'd have like a morning devotional. Oh, yeah. Um, and so everybody in the family would uh, be responsible. It's five family members. So, you know, rotating every, you know, fifth Thursday would be mm. your turn to lead the devotional no matter how old you were. So my, mm, yeah. if I'm eight, my sister was six and my older sister would have been 16, you know. Yeah. And so, nice. you know, that was a part of the journey. So... You know, I would say, I remember when my dad shared the gospel with me, I re- just remember, like, I would say the gospel was like Jesus came and, like, died for your sins, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, a like, a fall and redemption, mm. good news, you yeah. know, and I and I think to whatever level of an eight-year-old could understand, I think, I remember feeling a conviction of the Holy Spirit about mm. kind of my sins and just feeling the presence of, 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 of God, you know, mm. filling me, like, and it was a very significant moment. I remember I was crying and it mm. was like a very spiritual time. Like, and yeah. I remember that. And then, you know, I grew up in a castle. And so, mm. you know, I think that was a lot of the gospel was just like about, uh, yeah, you know, being saved from hell, you know? Right. And yeah. uh, so I think that was one thing, you know, mm. I think that was a thing. And I think now, I mean, just as I've grown and, understand more of the scriptures that I see the good news doesn't start off with sin. The good news starts off with the world being, uh, um, 
good, whole, and beautiful, mm. like the, the, yeah, that yeah, heaven yeah. came to earth. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this whole creation story about heaven coming to earth and uh, and then, you know, and God bringing order out of disorder. Yeah. And that's good news, you know, oh, yeah. and we're being invited to be part of cultivating that good mm. news yeah. and yeah. Uh, cultivating that good order. And then, you know, there is sin in the world that I think is a very serious thing, you know, mm. and it's brokenness that happens yeah. in our world. And we're still called to uh, be agents of healing and reconciliation and, mm. and, and re- agents of redemption and restoration, yeah. um, not just from the outside in, but from the inside out. Mm. And the yeah, good news good. Is, is that the things that's messed up now isn't going to be that way. And there's yeah. a hope, you know, so our vision of the future where a new heaven, new earth will... Uh, come back together again where the garden turns into a city mm. you know mm-hmm. that's all a part yeah, of the good yeah. news and so I just think that um, it's not that I've deconstructed what the gospel is mm. uh, I just have got a chance to see there's more to the gospel than I understood yeah, yeah, yeah. in my context at eight years old yeah yeah that's good I mean there's I think there's different approaches or different ways that we understand this really complex thing as we, as we grow and mature, you know, like you said, an eight year old can only understand so much of this really complex thing that we call the gospel. So I think a lot of folks that I've talked to have had similar experiences of kind of expanding and nuancing how they understand this story that we're all kind of invited into. But I really liked how you, how you talked about kind of the starting with Genesis one instead of Genesis three, this like everything is made good and beautiful. And the gospel is kind of, kind of this, uh, return back to that. And I know that a lot of your work with, with Erebon is, is kind of working around issues of race and reconciliation and, and seeing the brokenness, especially in, in America that we have around these issues and trying to find ways of bringing about reconciliation. So I wonder if you would talk for just a few minutes about maybe like what Erebon is and, what prompted you to start it and kind of how it's evolved since since then? Yeah, so Erebon, uh, it's a Greek word that means a foretaste of things to come. And the way that it's used in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit is given to the church as a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Mm, yeah. Well, here's the thing, like the world doesn't get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Mm. What the world gets is the church, and mm. we're to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Yeah. So the problem of Erebon we try to solve is, is, um, is really... Uh, try to address the inability of American churches to address racial brokenness in their communities. Yeah, and you know we see that all problems are local, mm. therefore all peacemaking ought to be local. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So the way that we go about doing that is that uh, we're a spiritual formation ministry that equips the American church to actively and creatively pursue racial healing in their communities. Mm. And you know everybody, you know, you could say, well, well, you know, why, why deal with race? You know, mm. like, I mean, there's all kinds of brokenness. Yeah, and I'm like, amen. Yeah, there is <laughs> yeah. all kinds of brokenness, <laughs> in every culture, in every form of humanity, there's always going to be some oppression that happens around um, ethnicity, mm. class, yeah, gender, um, you know, and. And in and even when in Galatians, which says in Christ is no male or female, um, s- uh, slave or free, mm-hmm. uh, Jew or Gentile, you know, I believe what Paul is saying there is that in essence, like in this multi-ethnic congregation, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. in the empire, in our broken world, folks are going to use gender, they're going to use ethnicity, they're going to use class mm. as tools of uh, oppression or discrimination or yeah. uh, uh, advantaging one person over another. Yeah. 
or, yeah. or, or hierarchy, mm-hmm. ways of organizing, value of folks. And in the kingdom of God, there should be something that's different. Right. And so it's yeah. not that like gender doesn't matter. It's not that uh, ethnicity doesn't matter. It's not that people's economic status doesn't matter. But what happens in the kingdom of God, the way that the people of God live and treat one another is something that is like radically different mm. because of the Holy Spirit being at work. And yeah, so that yeah. is the work that we we do is we really try to help Christian communities actively and creatively pursue um, that work of healing and be agents and versus being reacting to uh, whatever the social norm is. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So I... I was first exposed to Airbon and, and met you through a program that Airbon hosted and no longer hosts that was a, a songwriting internship. So you kind of mentioned the creative aspect of what you're trying to do, and I, I really appreciate that. But I know that Airbon has, has gone through some, some shifts and some changes. So what are, what are the ways right now that you're excited about the work that Airbon's doing and, and some of the maybe like pockets of, of community that you're really kind of targeting and focusing on, if that makes yeah, sense. yeah, I would love to share. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, one of the things I was telling a friend of mine over lunch today, I'm so fortunate that we get a chance to see the the best of American Christianity. <laughs> yeah, like I yeah. just I know I have a skewed view, mm. but like when folks call us, no matter where they are in their tradition, no matter where they are in the kind of journey of being a a Christian ministry, a Christian organization, or a Christian church, we get a chance to see the best. People are reaching out to us because they want to engage mm. in the gospel. They want to have an embodiment to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Yeah, and so it's we really get a chance to see some of the best things. And so, uh, before I share a little bit of uh, what we do, maybe a, a way I could um, explain it is a little bit where we came from. Mm. And yeah. so, yeah. so the early part of my career was as a musician. Right. Yeah. And so, part of what you experienced was we, we would have these. Um, songwriting internship programs where we get 18 to 25 year olds uh, to study theology, justice, the urban context. They would mm-hmm. live in our community here in Churchill yeah. in Richmond, Virginia, and they would um, study justice, reconciliation, theology, instead of writing papers, write worship songs. Mm-hmm. And those worship songs would be what we sing in our congregation. Yeah. And if some of those songs would basically end up getting produced and be a part of the urban doxology um, song uh, uh, records. Yeah, yeah, right. And so that was a, a thing that we were doing, and a lot of that came out of the pastoral needs that we had in our community where mm. so much innovation around the uh, uh, church is oftentimes um, driven by the economy, mm. by kind of like there is a suburban community that has disposable income Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of the, it's going to be market driven. So, you know, right. you go to the white suburban demographic and then, you know, there's a black suburban demographic. Right. Um, you know, now you realize the people that speak Spanish. And so you're like, okay, let's, let's try to go after that. Mm. But like being in an urban inner city, poor community, there's not a, a lot of resources, innovation going towards spiritual formation in yeah. that context. Right. So we started this internship program to really help work with the spiritual formation dynamic, being in a multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-racial church, mm. there wasn't a lot of resources for us, so we developed the resources that was needed yeah. uh, within that space, and then really just tried to like have a leadership development in a space where people from different 
racial, ethnic, socioeconomic backgrounds, different traditions could come together and be community mm-hmm. and, and create out of that community. Yeah. So that's where a lot of that work was coming from. And it was natural for me to, 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 to do music as a vehicle. You know, we could have built houses. We could have yeah. built bikes for kids. Like, I mean, it just... it. It didn't really matter as much of the vehicle, the type of thing that we were doing, as much as it was getting people together to work on something. Mm, yeah. And so yeah. I, I just kind of ended up seeing that people got distracted by the beauty of the music. Like it was really mm. great, and it was very, it was very resource rich. It was very challenging to kind of get all of that to go, and it was just, I mean, I felt like I would spend like nine months out the year <laughs> trying to raise the money to put on yeah. the program. Yeah. You yeah. know, and we realized, hey. We actually try to do something a little bit more upstream. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're necessarily trying to do worship music. What we're trying to do is trying to help folks with their spiritual formation right, yeah. to be agents of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And so what does it look like now is that we have three programs. We support bridge building leaders that people who are like, hey, I want to be an agent of reconciliation. I want to um, be a leader that that helps to bridge these gaps Bridge building, so we just like we resource them. Um, as we support, sorry, we support bridge building leaders, yeah, yeah. And so that looks like, like, um, we have programs where we might either like host some retreats for folks, or we might, um, have some like coaching sessions with folks that just because, like, when you're in a polarizing context and you're trying mm-hmm. to say, Hey, what's the third way that's a Jesus way? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really hard to know exactly what to do and how to do it. Yeah. So that's yeah. one of the things that we do. Second thing we do is we we uh, equip leadership teams. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times when you're a Christian leader, if you're a preacher, you'll try to like just preach, you know, yeah. to <laughs> like make the change that you want right. to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't really do the change management, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you might yeah. have had that experience, you know, like you might be a leader and say, like, oh man, I know David and I did this internship. But the people that you're leading hasn't had that experience. Mm-hmm. And so, right. or the yeah. people that you're, you're leading with hasn't had that experience. So what we do is we actually help leadership teams mm. to have experience where they get a chance yeah. to discern. We give them a discernment process and some workshops and some discernment process to know what does it mean to be a reconciling community for their context. Yeah. yeah. And then the third thing we do is we resource reconciling communities. Like we'll create study series or mm. just resources or like a newsletter to just try to help folks to like, what we call cultivate the soil of reconciliation. That yeah, yeah. Just the average everyday person can know how to be an agent of reconciliation as the people of God mm-hmm. and do something different that's not to the left, it's not to the right, but like a, a faithful center yeah. that helps to be hopefully on the path of Jesus, follow Jesus on the path to the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. That's really good. So it sounds like you really started off kind of just doing what what felt right and natural which is this music kind of like creating music as a as a language of reconciliation and then you realized like hey i can actually probably make more of an impact if we like you said move a little bit upstream and actually target the folks who were the agents of change in these organizations and and try to help them realize and uh, and learn learn how to cultivate these like reconciling communities um that's yeah, really good i think uh something I've been thinking about, you talk, you've talked a little bit about like trying not to be like too far left or too far right, trying to find this like third kind of Jesus way. I think the, I think issues of race, particularly in America tend to lean more in the left and the progressive kind of direction. Um, and folks on the right sometimes have a harder time engaging because it, it feels like a politically charged topic. So I wonder, I wonder how you and, and your team at Airborne have, gone about trying to work with a diverse 
array of churches and and how you try to depoliticize this this issue as you as you do that work because that's a really difficult thing to do I think. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And, and that's, I guess, why people donate the big bucks. Yeah. Hopefully they do. <laughs> no, yeah. but like, I mean, here's the thing. Like, there's these, I think th- there's impasse of why Christians tend to um, be really bad at addressing racial brokenness in their community. And it tends to be an impasse. Mm-hmm. And so the first one is that a lot of folks who try to address these issues use shame as a motivator mm. instead yeah. of hope. Yeah, yeah. So we just try to say, like, um, hey, you know, you brokenhearted about something and you, and you say, hey, then you come up to, to somebody like me and say, hey, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Don't be a rich white man. <laughs> well, you're like, well, you know, I'm a musician, so I'm not rich, but I can't change being a white man. <laughs> you know, right, like, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, like, you know, and you might even be like, oh, you know, well, I understand you're upset about this. or I, I get what you're saying. I understand why. But like, what can I practically do? Mm-hmm. And eventually, I mean, sometimes you just kind of just, just get tired of getting piled on on the shame factor. Right, right? Yeah. Versus saying like, hey, you know, we can uh, be better. We can do better. Like mm-hmm. uh, nobody who is here today is to blame for for what happened yesterday. And and what happened yesterday is impacted us today. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. history, right? That's yeah, just like the way life works in general. And yeah. so there's no way that race is going to be the only thing in the world that's been 100% redeemed before Jesus come back. Right. <laughs> and so so. So it's like, hey, let's let's not say like who's to blame, but how can we take responsibility, mm, yeah, you know, in yeah, the age of reconciliation? So the, the second one is it tends to be like information of a formation. Mm, so yeah. folks tend to say like, hey, do the work, and do the work means uh, uh, read a bunch of books. Read the book, right? Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> so after you do all of this book reading, all right, now what do I do? And it's more than just like about information because I think there's this presupposition in there that information leads to transformation Mm, mm -hmm. information alone doesn't lead to transformation that's good yeah yeah like we need to say hey how have we been deformed how do we need to be reformed how do we be spiritually formed the third tends to be theory over practice Mm -hmm. so the reality of it is is that the university the academy the scholarship they're oftentimes filling a void that the church has left empty Mm. Mm-hmm. So like the way that like like researchers, academic researchers do, mm-hmm. they say like, hey, I see a problem in the world. Yeah. Let me find out who is addressing this problem and let me observe and research them to figure out what is the theory of the practice in which they should like what's happening. Mm-hmm. And let, let me try to like understand that principle so we can kind of like put this in the archive and learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they should be able to come to our churches. Right. Mm to see people who work through racial division, socioeconomic mm. division, yeah. political division. Yeah. But the problem is most of our churches are economically stratified, mm. are mm-hmm. racially stratified, and politically stratified. Yeah, yeah. And so functionally speaking, folks have not allowed the gospel to permeate them mm. more than they've allowed their sociological influences. Mm. yeah. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is that they can't go to the church. Right. Yeah. So what happens is you get somebody like Abram Kendi comes up with the theory of like anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Or you get somebody like Robert D'Angelo comes up with um, like white fragility and things of that nature. Yeah. And so what happens is, is that because of like the political wave, folks hear about 
CRT, however that's being defined, or mm -hmm. critical race theory, anti-racism, and they sometimes would wholesale reject it mm -hmm. because it didn't come from the church. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm like, okay, like, you know, <laughs> there might be, there are some fair critiques. Like, mm -hmm. even in the academy, there are people who critique sure. the anti-racism, like like Kendi and... Um, and Robin DiAngelo. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what academics does right, in yeah. general, right? <laughs> and so, okay, cool, but like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, like, what are you actually doing to yeah. actually be an agent of change? And like, how are you living a different gospel witness mm -hmm. within this space that's more than like, I, you know, it's, you know, like, like not being involved in it doesn't mean that it's like a problem. Like, like you're actually like doing something to be part of the redemption, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so. Mm. There is an issue of theory over practice that actually needs to work, and I think the people, the church, the people of God should be agents of practice. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The fourth challenge is uh, the individual over the community. Mm. Yeah. And so it ends up being like, okay, is this person a race? No, this person not being a race. It tends to be a circle of conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. But folks don't realize and, and, and even elevate the conversation and say, like, people form communities, mm. and communities form people. Mm -hmm. So when you're yeah. a Christian community, you ought to be forming people into a reconciling community. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's the thing, like when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they're the children of God, mm -hmm. that's not the assignment of the people in the academy. Right. That's not yeah. the assignment of a political party. Mm -hmm. That's not the assignment of anybody other than the people of God. Yeah, yeah. The children of God, right? The children of God, right? Right? Yep, like yep. I, I am the son of Emmett and Brenda Bailey. Mm. I didn't set the agenda for how the Baileys operate. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember sometime my mama said, she said, hey, boy, you, you don't represent you. You're representing me. So when you go out of this house, this is what the Baileys do, right? Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. that is one of the things that Jesus is saying, that if you are a son and a child of God, that you ought to be identified as a peacemaker. Mm. And you're making peace in the midst of conflict. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're making peace in the midst of divides. You're making peace in the midst of polarization. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we need to take that seriously. Yeah. And so we're going to assignment to like, how are your, how is your Christian community forming people to be a reconciling community? Mm -hmm. And then the fifth problem is it tends to be more partisanship over peacemaking. Mm-hmm. Mm and yeah. so it tends to be more political discipleship than biblical discipleship. Mm, yeah. And so folks oftentimes come into these conversations, usually within two to three minutes, you can tell whether they get their source from the conservative station or the progressive station, mm -hmm. yeah. whatever they're tuned in. And so what the most Christians tend to do is pick the Bible verses that align with whatever their political persuasion is. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to read the Bible through the lens of their politics versus allow their politics to be read through the lens of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. this is something that, like, you ask the question, like, how do we work through this? Is mm -hmm. that we're not trying to, if you're, if you're on the left, we're not trying to make you more right. If you're on the right, we're not trying to make you more left. Mm -hmm. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we're saying, like, hey, if you're a Christian person on the right, or you're a Christian person on the left, that word Christian, being a follower of Jesus, like we're challenging you to 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 to, to be more Christian mm -hmm. than those who don't say they follow Jesus. There should be something different than you yeah. as a person, a Christian Republican or a Christian Democrat or progressive or Christian, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. That should be different than the people who do not follow Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And so those are the things that we're really trying to like 
encourage folks to do. And we, we we don't play Junior Holy Spirit. We just try to <laughs> we try to like help folks to like see that opportunity to follow Jesus. However, yeah, Holy Spirit's could make them know. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I think I really like the term peacemaker, but it makes me think of of MLK talking about about peace and how it's like not just this. There's like positive peace and negative peace. I think like there's a piece that leads to justice that yeah. doesn't just like shove things under the under yeah. the rug. And I appreciate that. I think Arabon really tries to really embraces kind of like the tension that's in that world of peacemaking. Um, but I wonder, you talked about, uh, you've used the word reconciling community a lot. And I think oftentimes folks who try to, when they first get into this world of, of race and justice and trying to work towards more, diverse communities we see people i think trying to make peace by just creating a, a diverse space a space mm-hmm. where you see diversity but they're not necessarily addressing some of the underlying tensions that are there so i wonder if you would maybe just briefly define the significance of that difference between a reconciling community and a diverse community and why you guys use that specific language. Yeah. What what I would say is a diverse community is how people look. Mm. A reconciling community is how people think and act. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Like a diverse community doesn't guarantee a reconciling community. Mm. The NFL is a diverse community. The NFL is not a reconciling community. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so getting people together is a step, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a reconciling community. Yeah. Now you can also be a homogenous group of people Mm -hmm. and still be a reconciling community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about this, a microcosm of a reconciling community is a marriage. Mm -hmm. It's folks that are like covenant to be together. Yeah. You know, that stuff's going to come up. Mm-hmm. And you're committed to work through things and to cultivate and to like love unconditionally, yeah. and, and you and 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 you need more than love. You know the Beatles didn't tell us tell us at all. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. you actually need conflict resolution skills, right? Mm-hmm. You need to like understand family origins. Like you need to yeah. understand the history of not only just the person as an individual, but the family and the culture in which the comes from. Yeah, and and you're doing all this out of love so that you can actually uh, um, be. Uh, show up better at to love your neighbor to as yourself to be a reconciling, cultivating community, a mm-hmm. peace making community. Yeah, that's true that's in a covenant aspect of a marriage. That's also true in a covenant group of like a Christian community. Mm-hmm. And so that is a really uh, key element. And then last thing I'll say, it's important to understand that it can be very difficult, particularly in the United States, to actually be. A diverse community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The way our cities were designed in 1930 through the 1950s were designed so that, like, I mean, neither one of us have children, but let's say, for example, I had a black son and you had a a, a white daughter. Mm-hmm. They, the cities were designed so that our children wouldn't grow up next to each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, to be friends, wouldn't cross paths, wouldn't cross paths, so they wouldn't fall in love. Right. Yeah. So ultimately, so they don't have mixed race children because right. in 1930 and 1950s, when we built our cities, that was the most important thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, so they, in every city, there's either a highway or a railroad or a mountain. 
that has the poor part of town and the wealthy part of town. Mm-hmm. The black part of town or the immigrant part of town. Yeah. Or in the white part of town. Yeah. And so what you see the way that from 19, particularly 1930s and 1950s, our country was like designed with two organizing principles in mind mm. to make sure that home ownership and land ownership doesn't fall in the hands of black people and immigrants mm-hmm. or as few as possible. Yeah. And our employee policies, employment policies were so that there isn't a black man supervising a white man. Mm. Yeah. And so this is, this is, Bipartisan. This is both on the Republican mm-hmm. and Democratic side. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and so this has happened for, I mean, f- for centuries. Like, I mean, we're not mm-hmm. talking, I mean, we're talking at least almost 100 years yeah. after slavery. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, like we, I mean, like, like we, if we got over this, over slavery, that'd be fine. But so then we're dealing with the consequences of that. So, like, my dad was 20 years old. When he got his full rights as a U.S. citizen, even though he was wow. born here, wow, yeah. he was twenty years old in nineteen sixty-eight when That's the last crazy. civil rights law was passed. <laughs> yeah, just wow. so he could like say he could live wherever he, he could afford to buy a house. Yeah, yeah. But then it wasn't until the mid seventies that that law was enforced. Mm. So it wasn't yeah. possible to the eighties. Like I'm a first generation of African Americans that were uh, born with our full rights to have the kind of opportunities. And so the kind of opportunities that I have is is unprecedented to the history of, of, of black folks. Yeah. So some yeah. folks might say like, well, why would you, like, what, what do you got to complain about? Mm. No, I'm like celebrating that. Mm-hmm. But the reality of this is, is that the way that wealth is, 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 um, is created is generationally. Mm-hmm. The way those opportunities mm-hmm. and networks are created and, and relational networks are oftentimes created generationally. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm just saying, like, what does an imagination look like when you're the people of God, when family gets redefined? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that it's not just like 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 Hayden and I, like we aren't just like individual like the the hobby family or the Bailey family. Mm-hmm. But then we actually are now part of a new covenanted family. Mm. And to much give as much more is required. And what does it look yeah. like for us to actually be agents of reconciliation mm. to proactively look at like how to address these brokenness and, and and God's given us all a piece of this like I love like mosaic art because mm. it's a bunch of broken pieces. Yeah. And God's like trying to fit us together to each person's supply to create this beautiful picture, mm, yeah. this beautiful Erebon, this beautiful foretaste of the kingdom of God that God's trying to, mm. uh, uh, that, that God sees, that God paints yeah. for this picture for us that like we've kind of like, like on like, like the boxes of puzzles, mm-hmm. you know, you see yeah. what the picture looks like, right? <laughs> you know, and you're trying to like mash that up, yeah, like, you know, yeah. with the different pieces. Like that's what I think like, that God's really invited us into. And I think that's the job of the people of God not people who follow who don't follow Jesus. Mm, now, people mm-hmm. who don't follow Jesus, they can be a part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. But but like, I don't think it's our business to, to critique and criticize them right. for doing something that we're neglecting to do. Right. No, I think that's a good point. And I, I like. I mean, it's just kind of mind blowing that you're the first. You're a first generation African American man who has this like full sense of rights as a person in this country. And I think we, or at least I like, forget that. Even I think it's something we don't fully realize um an illustration that i 
that was helpful for me when I was first kind of learning about these kinds of things was an analogy about like what it would be like to start a game of Monopoly halfway through the game yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and having like you can never catch up you just like never have the resources and I, yeah, and that was an illustration someone used to kind of help me understand what it's like to be a black person in America yeah um, but I think so many people just don't realize that and I know for myself I've worked with a lot of you know primarily white churches some some healthier than others but even with within the healthy ones I think there can be this tendency to shy away from really fully engaging with this topic of race and racial reconciliation for a number of reasons I know a lot of pastors want to avoid all, all the political pitfalls that come with it and try not to you know divide their congregations and I understand that I wonder though like what are what are churches missing out on when they don't engage with this idea of, of becoming reconciling communities and particularly kind of thinking about what like what you just said like the reality of of race and how it affects both black and white people in America yeah and, and even I would even say it, it not only impacts black and white people um, our immigration policies were well, yeah, yeah, created definitely. off of race, right? Mm -hmm. So it's created this dynamic where, like, literally, if you um, read the newspapers about 150 years ago, the things that the newspaper was saying about Chinese people are the same exact things that they're saying about Mexican people from South America mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the things that folks are saying about Muslims mm -hmm. 150 years ago were the things that they're saying about uh, Muslims today. They were saying 150 years ago about Sikhs. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So this is um, this is so important just to be a, a reader of history. Mm. Yeah. And to understand that like like this like race is, has been an organizing principle for what uh, a quarter and a half a century, right? Well, basically yeah. a quarter of a century, basically. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so this is such a, a like the impact of this has significantly impacted us. And it's kind of like the way to think about this is that like you and I wouldn't go to do ministry in India and not understand the caste system. Right. Or we wouldn't yeah. go in Nigeria and understand some of the tribal dynamics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so it's just, I think it's important to just realize Rwanda or whatever it can be like, like these histories or, or you wouldn't go to um, South Africa and not understand apartheid. Like this is right. all part of mm -hmm. our cultural milieu. And so one of the things that you ask a question like why like what happens when a pastor doesn't like engage these things? Mm -hmm. What what happens is we allow the world to disciple our people mm. instead of mm -hmm. allowing the scriptures right. to disciple our people. They're gonna they're gonna be discipled one way or the other. One right? way or the other. So like yeah. you know we we're about to come into this election year and we mm -hmm. I mean it's so much polarization and oh, so yeah. much like there are billions of dollars that's about to be pumping mm -hmm. our economy to get people angry enough to vote for the person and fearful enough mm. to vote for the person that they want them to vote for. Yeah. yeah. And that's how folks be informed a disciple. Mm -hmm. So if the pastor just says, you know, well, I'm just going to wait till the year over and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, why would you want to do that? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of yeah. like, yeah. like literally like you're having, um, you're raising kids and you say, Hey, I'm not going to, say anything about sex to my kids. Right. Yeah. Like I'm just going to like let them 
just not say anything. Mm-hmm. So they're going to figure out either their friends mm-hmm. or figure it out like through what they get on the internet or whatever the case may be versus like, hey, I want to yeah. disciple them into a beautiful vision mm. of what intimacy is like and what a healthy, uh, flourishing sexual relationship looks like um, under the kingdom of God and discipleship. Yeah. Now, I know there's a lot of folks that just kind of let that happen. Yeah. And usually, I go like, it like, doesn't go. It tends not to go. <laughs> that's like a pretty high probable path, uh, path towards teenage pregnancy, right? And like, yeah, yeah. you know, and so, so I just think that we should um, be more proactive as mm. instead of reactive. Mm. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think that, and I I think it's true. Like, yeah, you. you with race, but with any 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 issue that tends to be politically charged, whatever it is, a failure to talk about it in a church setting is not going to keep people from thinking about it or forming opinions about it. They're just going to be formed by the news, you know, the TV stations they watch and the radio they listen to and the podcast they listen to. And yeah, um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well. I'm wondering, just to kind of bring it back to this, like, kind of the gospel thread that runs, that I try to keep running through this podcast, like how, with all of your experience working around this topic of race, and particularly kind of this broader issue of, or not issue, this just subject of reconciliation, how, maybe for you personally, but then also for those listening, how does this, how does this shift in a in a positive way, how we think about the good, what we call the good news, I guess, like how does it broaden and expand and, and make even better, I guess, the, the gospel, this idea of, of reconciliation. Well, I see that the theme of reconciliation is literally through Genesis through revelation. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, as a Christian, you know that the world is broken. Yeah. And Christ is in the work of reconciling all things. Mm-hmm. So we get this invitation from God to participate in the reconciling of all things. Right. Yeah. And so we have to practice what we preach. You know, one of the things that we see, uh, that we say at Airbond is that reconciliation is spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we define, we, we borrowed the definition of, of uh, spiritual formation from Ruth Haley Barton, mm. where she says spiritual formation is the process of being transformed into the image of Christ mm-hmm. for the glory of God for the sake of others and the abundant life. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Spiritual formation is the process of being transformed to an image of Christ for the glory of God, for the sake of others, and for the abundant life. Well, if you think about it, reconciliation is the process of being transformed into an image of Christ mm, mm-hmm. for the glory of God, for the sake of others, for the abundant life. Yeah, yeah. And I... Particularly think in our American context where there's such a hyper sense of individualism, Mm. whether you're libertarian or you're progressive (laughs) self-expression, there is this space that basically says, I don't need to submit to the community. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. I have the right to express myself or to buy what I want to buy to make whatever choices I want to make that that has no sense of um, obligation to the broader sense of the community. Mm, yeah, yeah. So then what happens is we don't like something. We, you know, pick up our toys and move on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, and so what that does, particularly for the Christian, 
we don't actually engage in the hard work of reconciliation. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. We, and so we rob ourselves of the kind of formation and the maturity that God wants us to participate in. It's like when you practice reconciliation, it's like uh, resistant weight resistance training mm, mm-hmm. to build those muscles. Like, yeah, like and if you yeah. just like, oh no, I'm not going. I'm not going to like. I'm only going to eat. I might walk every now and then. I'm definitely not going to lose weight. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, and I'm not going to lift weights. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is when you don't lift weights, you don't oftentimes lose weight. You don't be fit, you know, and your your, yeah. your muscles come into atrophy, mm. and you you're like I tend to be like an unhealthy person. Right, and yeah. I think we could be like that spiritually, mm. and I think it's important that we engage. And so I try to practice what I preach, you know, mm-hmm. and really like both internally as an organization, and uh, externally in the way that we practice is to really, at every level, try to be a person that engages in this work of uh, reconciliation because it's so connected to our spiritual formation. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I I want to pull it back to that kind of analogy you used with marriage i think that was a really good just point about how how small how localized reconciliation can be mm-hmm. and before we try to take it on to this huge level we kind of have to look on the on the small like in our in our little communities like how are we practicing this and and how can that then like expand into this greater thing i mean if you if you look i mean again this is into like our mission we're a spiritual formation ministry mm-hmm. that equips the church to actively and creatively pursue racial healing where in their communities. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so this is the thing that I think is so important. There's a um, saying by Mother Teresa. She says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Mm. And this is what's so important is because, like, now Mother Teresa is a household name. Yeah. Or Dr. Martin Luther King is a household name, household name, or Nelson Mandela, or... Mm. Gandhi for all that matters. Yeah. Like they didn't set out to do something great. Right. They just did the thing in their local community. Mm. Like Dr. Mm-hmm. King, he was like in Montgomery at his first church, a young pastor trying to get out of the, out of the shadow of his dad. Mm. The pastoral local thing that he was trying to do, the thing that the small thing that he was trying to do with great love was a bus boycott. Yeah. And because he was the youngest and most inexperienced pastor, he had the least amount to lose. So they just pushed him out in front of the camera yeah. to to then like articulate why they were doing a Montgomery bus boycott. Mm-hmm. He happened to be good looking, happened to be a really great communicator. Mm-hmm. And there was this technology called the t- like the camera and the TV <laughs> that yeah. came out at the time. And then, you know, now, 13 years later, you know, after like from fifty five to about sixty eight, by the time he got assassinated, mm. you know, he influenced a significant like amount of folks. Oh yeah. yeah. Now, what's important to understand is that at the time, he didn't feel like he was doing anything. Like, if you ever <laughs> look at his like prayer yeah. journals, yeah. If you look at Mother Teresa's prayer journals, so much of their journals, they felt either like this is from God, felt like they weren't doing the right thing. Is this worth it? All mm. I mean, it's just, it's not as. Um, as glamorous as we like look look out for it to be, yeah. Um, it's a lot of self sacrificing. It's a lot of um, dark nights of the soul. Mm. It yeah. wasn't until the nineteen eighties, you know, when they made the holiday, you know that, and then you know, 
and that was very significantly politically opposed. And yeah, was, but I mean, so we look at something like fifty, almost sixty years later. Yeah, and now we're like, oh yeah, like I'm trying to be like Dr. King. Right. <laughs> no, like I mean, most of us aren't. Like even Dr. King wasn't trying to be Dr. King. Right. And even yeah. Dr. King didn't think he was doing something. Mm, mm. They were just like trying to do small local things with great love and, and part of like love is self-sacrifice yeah. and things of that nature. And so the biggest thing is, is that like don't try to boil the ocean. Yeah. Try to figure out like what is your part of the garden that God's called you to cultivate. Mm. And just be faithful at that. Like we say, like we overestimate what we can do in a year. Yeah. We underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Mm, yeah. And so yeah. like even like the internship that you talked about, like that was something that was done over 10 years. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you know, there's so many, so many great, beautiful things that came out of just a long obedience in the same direction. Mm, mm-hmm. And, you know, here we are on this podcast now. Right. But yeah. it's just like, it's, it's such a great, beautiful thing. But then now you think about the stuff that you're doing and, your wife is doing and all the other folks that, you know, we're connected to Right. that's just doing it. And like, what if they do their thing for another 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Right. You see how it all spreads out. And, and, and so that's the thing that's like so important. Yeah. No, no, that's really good. That's really good. I love that. Well, this feels like it may be a good place to wrap up, but thanks so much, David, for uh, joining me on the podcast. If anybody wants to connect with you or with, the work that Arabon is doing, what are what are the best ways to go? So I would say go that? on Arabon.com, A-R-R-B-O-N.com, and uh, make sure you get on our newsletter. Mm. We only send out newsletters that we would want to receive ourselves. Yeah, nice. So we... So <laughs> no we, spamming. Only, yeah, only, no spamming. Only good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what we do is, like, there's a, a thing that we... Uh, uh, like, once a month, we do, like, a pastoral or theological reflection to try to help to put some like good news in people's inbox. Yeah. Um, we'll provide some resources like of things that, Hey, there's some things you can, you know, use and do. I mean like any nonprofit, you know, a couple of times out the year that we'll, um, ask for you to donate to mm. our work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like the thing is, is that like, we hope we're earning the right for you. Like we're hoping that you will want to donate to us because we're right. adding a ton of value <laughs> right, yeah. to what's yeah. happening. So, Absolutely. so, you know, I know, a lot of folks can be very spammy with their mm. emails and we, we have a high commitment not to do that. Yeah. So I would say get on our newsletter and then um, we recently have brought some attention to doing our social media work. Mm. Our team has been doing some really good work of just yeah. communicating there. Yeah. And so, um, but I would say the newsletter has been our most consistent way of communicating with people. Great. Yeah. Well, I know I personally would uh, would vouch for for y'all's work. It's you do, you're doing great things, and I'm super excited to see where it continues to go. Thanks, so, brother. Appreciate yeah, you yeah. being uh, inviting me to be on your podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for being here.